We continue along in the evenings through the Belgic Confession of Faith, which is a faithful summary of God's Word. One of the ways you know it is a faithful summary of God's Word is that it, right at the beginning, acknowledges that the Word of God is supreme. As we are reminded, uh, God has revealed Himself, so we don't believe in just any uh, so-called God that's out there or a God that uh, we have had to figure out for ourselves or come up with, but we have a reliable record of who God is. In fact, He's uh, spoken in two ways. As we saw uh, the last time we came to the confession, we saw that He spoke through the creation and preservation and government of His universe. We certainly can learn some things about the true God uh, through that which He has made. And He has also spoken more clearly, more specially, more specifically about Himself in the written Word. Uh, Or in fact, what eventually became the written Word. Because as we read from Article 3 in the Belgic Confession earlier, uh, the Word of God was spoken either to men by God directly or through men to other men Uh, God speaking through particular men, and then later that Word was written down and preserved as the very Word of God uh, that we have today. Of course, we have it translated for us in a language that we can understand, and that is our great privilege. But our uh, subject, especially tonight in the Belgian Confession in Article 3, is the written Word of God. And I want you to notice, just uh, before we uh, turn to the Scripture itself to defend the truths that are summarized here, just that the Belgian Confession spends a good deal, a good amount of time right at the beginning talking about the Scriptures. Okay, Articles 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 all explain to us what the Scripture itself says about itself. Uh, So tonight there won't be too much detail. The uh, Confession will later get into uh, questions like, well, how do we know that the Word of God actually is the Word of God? Right? There are plenty of, of religions who claim that their a holy book is a revelation from God and therefore is the ap- absolute standard of what uh, should be believed. How do we know that the Scriptures... How did it, the Scripture, the 66 books that we have in our Bible, how did they come to be the ones that we call the Scripture? How did that happen? Well, the Confession will address that. What are the contents of the Bible? What, are, what is then the usefulness of the Bible for us? How far does the authority of the Bible extend? What areas of life does the Scripture address? Is it proper to use the Scripture to speak to, say, all areas of life, or is it only limited to parts? Now, these are all very important questions, all which the uh, confession in greater or lesser detail will answer as we go along in the coming weeks. Uh, But the main point of Article 3 is the foundation of everything else that comes later. And the main point of Article 3 is that the Scripture is God's Word. The Scripture is God's Word. This is what is obvious. But the way that Article 3 describes it will help to burn that idea in our consciences and our consciousness and uh, cause us to accurately approach it uh, when we, uh, whenever we come to the Scriptures. But let's uh, turn in the Bible tonight, begin here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is a very familiar passage, I trust to many of you. Second 
2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Of course, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a young minister of the Word. And he says something very important about the Scripture. This is the Word of God. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Especially there. Look at the beginning of verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. And then from 2 Peter, also chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. If you're using the Bibles and the benches, page 1897. 2 Peter 3.15. I'm going to begin reading in the middle of that verse there after the comma, just as. This also is God's Word. 2 Peter 3.15 in the middle there. Our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Paul writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other Scriptures to their own destruction. I want you to especially notice, and we'll tell you a little bit later why, that the Apostle Peter refers to Paul's letters as Scriptures. There in verse 16, he Uh, unstable people not only twist the other Scriptures, but also Paul's letters uh, to their own destruction. So far the reading of God's uh, holy Word. Well, friends and loved ones tonight, uh, let me ask you a question. What do you mean when you say that the Bible is God's Word? What do you mean when you say that the Bible is God's Word? Because there are a lot of people who say that the Bible is uh, God's Word. And I'm not just talking about the broader Protestant evangelical people who are committed to the Word of God, but there are people who say that they believe the Bible is God's Word. It means some very, perhaps to your ears, strange things about it. And there are people that say, yeah, the, uh, the Scripture here is the Word of God, meaning it is the record of the experiences of religious people or one particular type of religious people, the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition over their experience. Now, is that a true statement? Well, sure it is. I mean, in many ways, right? The Scripture is a record of the religious experience of those of the Judeo-Christian a tradition at various times and various places in the world in which they live. But is that enough of a definition? Is that the right and is that enough said about the Bible as God's Word? The answer is no, of course it's not. It's not merely, is it, a record of the religious experiences of God's people. When we say that the Bible is the Word of God, we mean something much more than that, don't we? We mean that it is God Himself speaking to us, giving a revelation of Himself, saying what is true about everything that He decides to address in His Holy Scriptures. And therefore, of course, we have the duty as creatures in His world to conform our own thoughts 
and our own actions to everything that He reveals about Himself. Think about the way in which God chooses to describe His Word. Even behind that, think about the way in which God has decided to communicate with us as His creatures. Now, we never speculate to go into the mind of God, but it's okay to think about what a, how much of an other category God is from us, how transcendent God is from us as human creatures. I mean, how intelligent and mighty and majestic and holy God is, how powerful His intellect is, how expansive is all of His knowledge. Now, how will this God communicate to us, His human creatures, who He is accurately and in a way that we can understand? Well, He chose not only for us to infer things by the minds that He had given us through the things that He had made, but He also chose to speak to us, right? He created us as human beings with the capacity for speech, with the capacity to have conversation, to hear, and to contemplate in our minds what somebody else was saying, to understand and therefore gain information, right? And He chose, as a God, of course, who does not have lips and does not have breath, like we have lips and breath. God is spirit. He doesn't have parts and passions, to use old classical language to describe Him. He is a totally a different other category than we are. Certainly we are made in His image to reflect His glory, but He does not have a, a mouth that speaks. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit from all eternity, right? But He chooses nonetheless to speak to mankind, to condescend and come down. And the fact that He, he speaks to mankind causes us to think about the nature of the word that we have. Remember, originally He would speak directly to the prophets, be it through visions or dreams, or He would uh, speak to them directly. He would make a voice. He would make the sound speaking to the prophets who were listening or to the apostles. Or He would inspire Men to speak by the power of the Holy Spirit and those words which came from their mouths were the Word of God and then they were committed to writing. But it's important to think about the speech of God first in order to understand just how much authority the written Word of God ends up having. I mean, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. Okay? How close is the connection between the Word of God and God Himself, the answer is it's as close as the words, the breath actually coming off of His lips, as it were. So if I want to know what you are saying to me, or you want to hear what I am saying to you, the closest you can get to what I am saying comes from what? The actual words, the actual sounds, the actual breath that rolls off of my lips. It is my words. It is your words that you speak. And the written Word of God is a reflection of the speech of God to His people. How close is the Scripture which we have to God's intention of what He's going to say Himself? It is actually what He said. Okay? The Word of God is reliable. It's not like it goes through some system of filtration that we have to somehow now sort out. When you hear me say what I'm saying, I'm saying what I'm saying. When you speak to your husband, to your wife, to your children, when you speak to your neighbor, when you speak in the workplace, when you answer the phone, the breath, the words, the sounds that come from your mouth are what you are saying. And the Word of God is the same. 
There is no reason to doubt that what we have is the Word of God. He has spoken to us as if the breath, the, the words, the sounds came right off of His lips and right to the apostles and prophets and is recorded for us. The Scripture is God-breathed and therefore reflects not just a record of history. Some of the, the Scripture is fascinating in a number of different ways. It may be a beautiful poetry at different times. It may give us historical information at different times. It may be uh, fascinating to read the accounts of ancient peoples. You may enjoy it for all different kinds of things when you read the Scripture. But let's not forget that fundamentally what it is is God's Word. He is declaring to His people who He is and what is true about everything that He addresses in that Word. Of course, we'll see in the coming weeks the reasons for that revelation, what kinds of things it covers. Uh, but know that it's God-breathed, and this is a fundamental article of our faith. If you don't believe this, then all religion is a joke. You might as well pack it up and go home. We've said it before. If there's no absolute standard of authority, of truth, if God has not revealed Himself, then all religion is just man-made and you might as well forget it. You might as well chalk your own religion up to... Uh, be in the category of all the other false religions and pagan superstitions and man concocting explanations for things that he can't understand out in the world. Making up categories to explain things that are hard to understand. Age-old questions. But no, that's not what the Scripture claims to be. The Scripture says that it's the very breath of God. And if God is speaking, and God has spoken in His Word, then we must submit ourselves to it, right? Obviously. Men, 2 Peter 1, 19-21, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation. Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Peter addresses one of the great problems that uh, has always been around as long as God was speaking. And people would say, look, if God chooses to speak through mankind or God chooses to speak to man and then He reports it to everybody else, then it must necessarily then, the end product, the speech, be corrupted by the participation of sinful men. And we're sensitive to this, aren't we? Because we know our own sins. Have you ever had the experience? It's not even uh, sinful necessarily. Have you ever had the experience where you remember something that happened so clearly? Right? And then you're with some other people and you're recounting the story and you tell them the story and they correct a few details about that story and you are sure, absolutely certain that they are wrong, all 15 of them. But you remember it right. And there's no doubt in your mind and uh, you think everybody else has gone crazy and then in your more sane moments as you go back later, you may never remember it correctly but you realize that uh, that's a strange thing, isn't it? Maybe our memories our process of communication, maybe we projected something happened that didn't actually happen, that we wanted to happen, whatever it might be, right? We find ourselves to be unreliable, and for that reason, people have said, given that people are unreliable, and given that people are sinful, how can you say that if God speaks through men, or to men, and they have to speak it back, that it can be still the accurate, reliable Word of God? Right, and that's why some people will say that the Word of God is true, but you know it just contains the truth. You have to kind of, like you would do with a stalk of corn, you have to take off all the outer layers before you get to the good stuff. You have to strip away all of the man-imposed opinions, all of the twisting 
of the kernels of truth that really exist in the Scripture, right? this is what people say about the Word of God. If that's what people say about the Word of God, then you don't have the Word, right? Because then who decides what goes and what stays? And it becomes completely arbitrary, right? And it then depends on feudal man, woman, children, feudal memories, sinful affections and minds that have fallen into sin to all of a sudden, what, decide which of the Scriptures are accurate for us and maybe enduring standards and which ones should be getting rid of? No, that's absurd. When we say that the Bible is the Word of God, it doesn't merely contain the Word of God. It is breathed out by God. All of the words of the Scripture come from Him. And men of God are carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is, through the process of inspiration by which they speak the words of God and by which the prophets and apostles recorded the Scriptures, the power of the Spirit, the truthfulness of the Holy Spirit, preserves them or prevents them from committing sin and imposing their own vain opinions and errors into the text. In fact, it gets a little more interesting than that if you think about the process of inspiration. It's not like every prophet who heard or spoke or every apostle who wrote got zapped with these words from God in some dream. But of course, God inspired them organically, didn't He? He worked within them. He oversaw by His providence their training, their upbringing, even their personality. That's why when you read some of these books, you can hear uh, sometimes a little bit of humor, perhaps. Or some of the writers are a little more, say, emotional than others. Some are more sensitive. Some of the biblical authors are more formally learned than others. Some of the writers, you think they need to go back to school for a grammar lesson. Why? Because God did not, say, turn them all into robots, although sometimes He did uh, dictation in a very formal sense, especially in the Old Testament uh, to some of the prophets, but... Very often, God will shape the prophets and the apostles who will speak forth the Word and then write it down. He will shape their personalities and their training, and all that will be part of His process of inspiration. But the difference between, say, our speech today, which reflects the truth of God in that speech, is that God has such a firm handle on what ends up being the Scripture. He is, you see, breathing out His Word through them, so He is guaranteeing that there will be no errors in it. And it's, it's simple, really, logic. If God is going to speak, then it's going to be true. You cannot talk about speech of God that's not true. So if the Scripture is God-breathed, and He uses a process of inspiration of sinful men to compose it and to speak it, we know that God's truthfulness trumps man's sinfulness in the process of inspiration, and therefore the end result is the truth of the Word of God. Not tainted by mankind's sin and bad memory and frailty. It is indeed the Word of God. The Word of God. It is reliable, the absolute standard. This is why uh, the Scripture uh, speaks so highly of itself. What do I mean by that? Well, God is spoken of in the Scripture as if He were the Bible. I'll just give you uh, some examples. Matthew chapter 19, there are some Pharisees who come to Jesus to test Him. And the Pharisees ask Him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, quote, 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now what's interesting is, the Creator, according to Jesus, who is God the Father, the Creator says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But if you go back and read the story in Genesis, God the Father, who is doing the creating of man and woman in His image, and then who brings them together to be married, God the Father, who is a character in that story, and who at times in the early Genesis account does speak Himself, right? That quote that Jesus gives, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become flesh, is not spoken by God in Genesis. It's an editorial comment written by Moses as he reflects on what was happening between God the Father and Adam and Eve. Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, comments, explains that for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. But here, Jesus says that the Creator spoke those words. So which is it? Was it God the Father who spoke those words? Or was it Moses? Well, the answer is that, of course, Jesus understands what the Scripture is, which all of it, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is the speech of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the answer is, was it God or Moses? The answer is yes. It was Moses, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking. The Scripture is full of language like this. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. Now that quote, Today, if you hear His voice, the author of the Hebrews says that the Holy Spirit said it, but actually, the psalmist said it. He's quoting a psalm. So which is it? Is it the author of the psalms that said it, or is it the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is what? Yes, both. The Holy Spirit spoke. The Holy Spirit is speaking any time that any psalmist is speaking. God the Father is speaking any time anybody says anything that's recorded in the Word of God. There are many other examples where the Word of God is spoken of as if, or God is spoken of as if He were the Bible. Because it is so, the Scripture is so closely connected with Him, you see. You can't drive a wedge between the Bible as the Word of God and God Himself. It's an accurate reflection of what he says. The flip side of it is that the Scriptures are spoken of as if they were God Himself. The Scriptures are actually given uh, a character as if they were God Himself, as if they are acting with the powers that only God has. Galatians chapter 3, the Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the Gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. Now think about that for a minute. Paul says in Galatians 3 that the Scripture, the Bible, looked into the future and saw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and so announced the Gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed. Why? Would Paul speak like that? I mean, is it that the Bible is like really 
in and of itself a person or a divine person or alive or something that it could look into the future and see something that happened? No, it's not anything strange like that. It's that the Scriptures, of course, are inspired of God. So they take on all the characteristics of God, right? This, when, this, when Paul says that the Scripture foresees that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and therefore says something, what he's saying is that God has given you a record in His Word thousands of years before something has happened <coughs> that God Himself is speaking prior to this event that comes later. He's prophesying about something that He will do later. But you see how close Scripture and God are in the Word revealed to us. They're very closely connected. You can't separate one from the other. Romans 9, verse 17 says, The Scripture says to Pharaoh... Now, if you read the Old Testament record of the story with Pharaoh, who was speaking to Pharaoh? Well, it was God who revealed His Word to Moses and told him to go speak to Pharaoh. So who's speaking to Pharaoh? Is it God or Moses? Or as Romans 9 says, the Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Well, it's not like some you know, words on a page jumped up and started shouting at Pharaoh. No, it was right. It was Moses speaking as the mouthpiece of God, right? But there is such a close connection between the Scripture and God Himself. This is the point that we're driving home that Paul can comfortably speak of the Scripture acting as if it were God Himself. 1 Timothy 5.18 The Scripture says, The Scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grade, and the worker deserves his wages. Which is an interesting quote, because Jesus says, The Scripture says, and then He quotes a part of Deuteronomy, which was written by Moses, and after that He quotes the words of Christ who had taught us the worker deserves his wages. Think about that. So the Scripture, Paul says, is speaking, and it says, a quote from Moses, and it also says, a quote from Jesus. Now, how can he say the Scripture is speaking? Because it's all inspired of God the Father. By the power and the work of His Holy Spirit. The Scripture speaking is God speaking. No division between God's speech and what we have recorded for us in the Word. This is the Word of God. This is our authority. It's the Word of God. We close with very brief uh, one implication for us. The origin of the Scripture, right, is from God. We believe that. It's God's Word. If that's true, then we've got to have the courage to obey it. Right? To believe what it says and to live as it instructs us to live. I mean, it's one thing for us as people who profess to be Christians to say that the Bible is God's Word and that we don't, draw a, we don't drive a wedge between God whom we love and worship and serve and the Word and how He has revealed Himself. It's one thing to, to say that much, to say that the Scripture is inspired of God, by God and for us, and it's another thing to actually follow what it says, to believe it, and to obey it. I just uh, want to warn you of the oh, context 
of modern Christianity, of conservative modern Christianity, which says that really the only thing that we have to agree on is the idea that the Bible is inspired of God. And uh, there's a good reason why that has become the rallying cry of, of uh, conservative Christianity today. It's because the Scriptures have come under so much attack, right? And uh, by God's grace, we'll resist any ideas that the Bible merely only contains the Word of God or that it's been tainted by human opinions. Right? We'll hold it up as the standard. Uh, but it's not good enough just to say that we know that the Word of God is His Word, right? We must also then, of course, conform our beliefs and conform our lives in big and small and in all practical ways to what it actually says. Imagine if you're a parent and you're giving very clear instructions to your children and they have no doubt that what you just told them was from you and their response to you is, well, father, mother, don't worry. It's very clear to me that what you just said to me comes from you and is my authority and I must obey it. But then that person that young child proceeds to ignore or to twist or forsake everything that you just told them. What will you say? Are they honoring your parental word by merely acknowledging that it comes from you and that you are the authority? No. You have to have the courage as someone who acknowledges that God's word is his word to set aside every prejudice that you might have every reason that you might give to not want to believe something which it reveals, you have to set aside all of that. If you confess the Scripture to be the Word of God and the absolute standard of truth and the only authority in your life, to conform your beliefs and your life to it, right? It takes courage. It takes courage to resist our own, what? Sinful inclinations, our own desire to just, uh, say, read the Scripture, to gain uh, knowledge and, and puff ourselves up. It's a challenge to us when things that we enjoy or things that we have held dear become challenged. It is a difficult when people will put pressure on us to believe things or to do things that are not written in the Scripture. It is easy to be intimidated when the clear teachings of Scripture are expounded before us in ways that perhaps we have not thought about or ways in which we have not accepted and to submit ourselves to it. We have to have the courage as God's people to conform ourselves to the standard so that our saying the Word of God is our standard isn't just empty words and only insofar as it is convenient to us or doesn't cause certain kind of implications in our life that we don't like, right? This is our challenge. This is one that will be explained more and unfolded more in the weeks to come through the confession. May God give us grace to hold fast to His Word, that glorious Word, the Word of life, the Word of truth, which we have by the power of His Spirit. To that, all God's people said, Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You that we are not left to ourselves, but You have clearly manifest Yourself in that Word, revealed Yourself to us. We know that these words are true. Uh, Father, we 
thank you that we have the privilege of uh, reading your word, which was inspired, now translated into our language. Help us, Lord, to be uh, sensitive to that word, not to just uh, say that we believe it, but actually to then go forward in thankful obedience to Christ by uh, continuing to be shaped by that word. We pray for our church, uh, especially, Lord, we pray for uh, those who are entrusted to uh, preach that word, that uh, their opinions and that uh, their own interpretations would not hide your word and would not twist it, but would open it up for each of us. Lord, we pray for those, uh, the elders in our church, who make decisions based on your word uh, for the life and the ministry of the church. We pray that they would not uh, twist it either by their own uh, opinions, mere opinions or uh, man-made interpretations. Lord, all of us, uh, Lord, we, we sense the urgency of being obedient to your word. Help us to understand. Help us as a congregation to love your word. Help us to read it, to care about it. Help us when we are taught in the church to, to be discerning, to uh, test the things that we hear based on the Scripture. Help us to hold fast to those things which are true and not be uh, scared to put aside those things which are not in conformity to the Word. Help us, Lord, to honor You by listening to You and being obedient uh, to You, for that is our desire by Your grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Closing song is number 411. We have a firm foundation laid for us in the excellent Word of our Lord. We're going to sing these first two stanzas, 1 and 2 of 411. <laughs> 